We've been talking about kingdom principles and we started off with knowing the king, understanding the king's business and how he is a possessor of all things. We went from knowing the king into dealing with a king's household uh, and recognizing our identity in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit by the Father's design. And if you weren't here, uh, I would encourage you to go back online and listen uh, to that time we had. I think the Lord gave us some revelation in some areas, and I, I really believe that uh, it helped, and it will help you as well. So tonight, we're going to talk, this is our last uh, course, this is our last study, and we're going to talk about kingdom stewardship. You know, every household, you have to have a plan for stewarding that household. Stewardship simply is managing, coordinating, and operating. So when we talk of stewardship, there's a lot of areas that we cover, but we're going to do it in three areas, and we're going to do it as quickly as possible because, you know, like I said last week, I've got an hour, which means I've got really about 40 minutes, so I've got to speak pretty quick. Can't take in too many rabbit trails, and I hate that because I like rabbit trails. But we're going to go, okay? So in the scriptures from Genesis, we start understanding kingdom right off the bat. Because if, if all you do is look at New Testament, you miss a lot of things. The, the, the scripture says these things were an allegory. Everything in the Old Testament points to what's happening in the New Testament. And uh, we, we need to realize that too many people say, well, now that's all Old Testament stuff and we're in New Testament times, so we really don't need to know that. Well, we do. We need to know history. That's just like in our season now in our country. Those who don't know history are going to fall apart in what's going on, not understanding that history repeats itself. And these things of scripture that are an allegory as to where we're going now in the kingdom, when you look at the Old Testament, so from Adam to Noah, we had a mandate in Adam in the garden. It was to tend the garden and replenish. When he got kicked out of the garden, his command for stewardship then was to till the ground, replenish the ground, continue to work the work, only instead of in the garden, he had to do it out in what would be considered the wilderness instead of the garden. So from him to Noah, that's how the people lived. And when they got to Noah, they had gotten so vile, you know, many of you know the story, and Noah had favor with God. So he built the ark and rescued himself, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. But he also rescued animals. And he also salvaged and kept plant life that was ready. So when the flood was over and God opened the ark doors and sent them out, now we have another mandate of stewarding this new earth. It's all new. It's all fresh. The old junk has been washed away. And it wasn't like he got out of the ark and there was dead everywhere. He got out of the ark and it had been cleansed. So now he's in a situation to replenish with the plants that they kept, replenish with the animals that were let loose, 
and to tend as a husbandman the animals and to tend as a farmer all of the different things that he would grow and, all, and how that would basic, basically work. And so from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, their wives, then they began to produce kids. And in producing those kids, they went on through Nimrod. They went on into Babel. They went on past that. And the next time we come to something where the, the mandate or, if you will, the stewardship changes, it's in Abram. And God tells Abram, get out from among your family, get out from your kinfolk. I'm going to change what you're doing on the earth. I'm going to use you, Abram, and I'm going to make a change in how you operate my kingdom on the earth. So he brought him out. He gave him a whole new land. He told him what to do with that land. He followed it faithfully. He made sacrifice to, to, to understand what he was doing. God showed him how to do sacrifice. He showed him how to build an altar. He taught him how to do all of these things. Because Abram, in his father's house, they were sun worshipers and idol worshipers. So when God brought him out, he changed the things around, and he taught him, this is what my kingdom is like, and this is what I'm going to build out of you, Abram. And he changed his name to Abraham, and he started having kids. Something that needs to be known, and, and it's missed a lot, is in that portion of Scripture, he first says to Abram, Abram, he said, look at, the, look at the dust of the earth. Can you number the, the, the uh, particles of dust that are on the earth? Can you number, in, in case, let's make it simpler, can you number the sands that are on the seashore? He said, no. Well, that's what I'm going to make out of you. Your heritage your children are going to be like these grains of sand in abundance now that's really neat but he didn't have any kids yet but then Sarai she gets a big big idea and because Hagar was now her servant and, and you may not know it but Hagar became Sarai's servant as a result of Abram lying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh then found out what had gone on, kicked them out of Egypt, sent them on their way because they never should have been there in the first place. <clears throat> All right, being stewards. They messed up in his stewardship and he had to get back on track. And so here comes Sarai out of Egypt. She's got Hagar with her. She, in, she figures out and formulates a plan and ends up having Abram get with Hagar and have Ishmael. Ishmael is of the earth, earthly. Ishmael represents the sands. So can you count the sand? Your seed's going to be like the sands that are on the seashore. Can you count them? That's all about Ishmael because Ishmael was born of the earth. Isaac was born of promise. Because later after Ishmael is born, God says to Abram, 98 years old, you're going to have a son. He's not too thrilled about it. How's it going to happen? He went through all of that. And if you don't know the story, check it out in Genesis. It's a pretty interesting story. And God says to Abram, now look up at the sky and at the stars of the heavens and number them if you can. Well, I can. He said, well, your seed, your Prodigies are going to be like the stars in the heavens. That's talking about Isaac. So Isaac's the child of promise, whereas Ishmael was the child of the earth. So you had both realms going on. Both had a level of stewardship and both had a degree of ownership in the kingdom of God. Okay? 
Now they fought and that, you know, they had a big mess and all of that kind of stuff, but that's how it happened. So when he tells him about he's going to have a son by the, you know, the stars, he name, changes his name to Abram, Abraham. He puts H in the middle, which is his name. He interjects himself. He inserts himself. Now he's not just telling them what to do. He's abiding with them to do it. These things are an allegory. What you see in the old is going to be revealed in the new. Keep that in mind all the way through. So we get through Abram. Next thing you know, we get all the way over and and we're going to get all the way to David as king. Now the, the kingdom is shifting again. Now we've gone from total God ruling man to setting up a king in God's stead. Named him David. Gave David a mandate on how to steward his kingdom. Now understanding there's many kingdoms going on, but David represents God's kingdom. So he establishes in David an order of business, how it's going to work, how it's going to function, how everything's supposed to operate, and he builds on that. And if you remember last Wednesday, those that were here, we went from David to Solomon, and I began to relate how that Solomon's kingdom represents our kingdom today because it's a kingdom of plenty. It's a kingdom of beauty. It's a kingdom of substance. It's a kingdom of everything that was needed because the word of God says that in Solomon's kingdom, nobody was lacking. And I got chided a little bit after church because I said that about silver wasn't worth anything. Because some of my friends who actually deal in silver and gold, they got a little upset because they're thinking, well, hey, what am I going to do with my silver? We're talking about something different now. So if we can get you guys out of your flesh back into the spirit, you'll be all right. You'll probably even get saved in this deal. But anyway, they came out of that. And David began to relate all about how the kingdom's going to work. So we go from David with all the ups and downs and failures and ins and outs and all the junk that they did until they actually lose everything about the kingdom. And we come to Jesus. Jesus. The last Adam, and and he was also referred to as son of David. Now David's bringing, I mean, Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom, a new method, a new manner, a new understanding. So Jesus is bringing about, in Matthew, he starts talking in parables. And he uses, he says, well, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he'll tell some story about an agrarian situation, a farmer. He'll tell another story about a householder with all his talents and he's going to leave and he gives his servants so much and he requires a stewardship from his servants and this is what he gives them and this is what he requires. It goes all the way down to telling when he, when he t- brings them to an accounting, they have to give an account for their stewardship. And in doing so then, it shows us and teaches us through the parable, the allegory, how this thing works in the kingdom of God Because we are given certain and sure gifts to operate in this life in the category of stewardship to make a difference. We should be profitable to God in every way of our lives. That's our stewardship. We're given authority as managers of the the affairs of the earth. 
as kings and priests. We're giving authority, given authority. You may not like it, but it is the way it is. We've been given authority in the management of the earth's situations. Now we have authority in the spirit realm, which dominates any earthly authority if we'll understand it. So in looking at it properly and watching what it is God wants to do, we, we began to understand. So Jesus is saying kingdom of heaven is this, a householder, he's going away. A farmer, he's going to plant, and this is what's going to happen. A, a husbandman, which is a vine dresser or an orchard dresser, and he says he's going to do these things, he's going to make this work, and he's going to have this happen. Every one of those examples when you read Matthew have to do with an allegory of where we are today. You'll know the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We'll produce fruit. We'll operate in principles of order and authority. We'll have all of these things working in our lives, and, and the Scripture is telling us this is how the kingdom's going to operate in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus is relating earthly things so that we will understand spiritual things. And if you remember, I told you, we see Solomon so that we can see Jesus in the end of this thing. When we look at Solomon and we watch Solomon's actions and we see what he does in blessing the people of Israel, his kingdom in that hour, then we have an allegory that shows us what we're looking at as the kingdom of God now in us. And so we need to see how we're looking at these things so that we can operate properly to be manifesting the very basis of all that God is to this world. I hear people all the time and they're talking in the church, show us your glory, show us your glory. <laughs> well, look around you. Look around you right now. And what you're looking at, you're going, that's the glory? <clears throat> Thrilling, isn't it? Really exciting, isn't it? That's, that's, that's like, well, I'll leave that alone. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're saying, show us your glory. And, and in fact, God is saying, I'm showing my glory in all of my creation, but I'm manifesting it more fully and completely in you, my church. My church. So then in that case, he's going to lay out for you and I a command to operate in him as his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, simple two verses. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Remember the teaching from last week. Who's living in you? Whom you have from God. And th this is what everybody really loves. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price or at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, in essence, God's possession. But if you look ahead, ahead of this verse, it's not that fun. Because ahead of this, and I'm not going to go there, but if you'll read it, 
You'll find out they're, they're having arguments about foods to eat and foods not to eat, what you should do here, what you should do there. Then he goes on and he says, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That's verse 15. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. So we're stewarding our bodies. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. He put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we go back over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm looking at what he's trying to tell us about us. And he's talking about us. Don't we know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the first order of business in stewardship for you and I as Christian is to steward the temple of God. Now, when we're stewarding the temple of God, we've got to understand there are certain requirements. The Bible plainly said God's not going to dwell in an unclean temple. So there are certain, if you will, prohibitions that we need to look at as self-imposed. Because I can, I can take Paul's writings and I can say all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. <clears throat> I can do all things, but they're not going to necessarily be profitable or, or uh, beneficial. So I'm not operating in the laws of do's and don'ts and foods and not eat and don't eat and do eat. I'm not operating in burning incense and lighting candles and doing all of that stuff. I'm operating in a whole new realm. Now we're in a holy temple. When we look at the temple as an allegory, we see that there are three parts. When you look at you, there are three parts. Your body, soul, and spirit. <clears throat> your spirit is born again. You're still carrying about a body that's giving you trouble, and you have a soul that you have to work with all the time, your mind, will, and your emotion. But these are three levels of the temple that you are. The outer court being the body, the physical realm, that which we have to take care of. And it's odd that we were just having a conversation about treadmills. Because Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. It's not the biggest deal. And I told him, Sherry and I once had a treadmill, and it was the best clothes hanger we ever had. <clears throat> Until we were able to sell it. Another time the doctor told me I needed to run and I told him the only time you see me running you better run faster than me because something behind me really mean. But there's a level of body that we're to take care of. We're not to uh, abuse this temple, this physical body that God has given us. That's the outer court. And there were requirements in the outer court to keep it pure. So Paul's liking it over here in Corinth to tell them, look, you guys, you got to stop this stuff of harlots and all the other things you do. We used to call them shackalites. 
In other words, living together, not being married, and you can take it from there. All of the various things that are sins of immorality that are listed in the scriptures, and if you don't like what I'm telling you, go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look what God has to say about it in Hebrews, I mean chapter 10. And look at what he has to say in chapter 10 about it, and it's not fun. Because God still holds this body as his and expects it to be holy. That's why he said, be ye holy for I am holy. And the only way we can be holy is the fact that he already dwells within us. And I spoke to you last week. The reality is whatever you do, he already knows because he's living with you. He's in us. He knows what we're doing before we do it. That's why we feel that nudge. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. That's why I should have left that last piece of cobbler and ice cream alone because he's trying to tell me this is not good for the outer part of your temple. Really. And I just, uh, you know, I sing to God sometimes. He's not real thrilled with my voice nor my song. But I sing every now and then. It's meddling time again. You're going to leave me. Because God, you're meddling in my stuff. But he meddles in my stuff by his Holy Spirit to lead and guide me into all truth so that I will understand I've got to walk this thing through. So I've got the outer court and now I've got the inner court. And the inner court's where the showbread is, the lampstand. It's where the oil, the incense oil is. It's where all of these things are. And it's a place of the soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. But I have to bring them in subjection to God's word as I steward the temple. Manage, control, operate in, and govern the temple that is my life. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I didn't quote the whole thing, but that's what it says. So he's telling us in his scriptures in order to be good stewards over his temple, which we are. These are things we have to look at. These are things we have to do. We are required by God to operate in this way in order to be fruitful in this life and profitable not only to ourselves but to God. Because if we're operating in this and we're looking at what we're doing in this and we're watching out what we think, we're guarding what we allow to come into our minds. <clears throat> At least we should be. Pastor Scott preached about it um, Sunday before last. And if you were here and you gained that, you gained some insights even out of Hebrews 11. These great cloud of witnesses are watching and they're an example of what we are to do in this life. So we've got to manage our inner court, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Subjecting our will to God's will. Keeping our thought processes in control. Operating in them with the word of God. Philippians 4, eight, think on these things, whatever good, pure, um, beneficial, trustworthy, and, and full of virtue. Anything, think on these things. In essence, get your head out of where it shouldn't be and into where it needs to be to keep our emotions in check. And our world is operating in absolute no control 
over emotions outside of the, the church, outside of Jesus. And several in the church are operating that way as well because they're not keeping the temple and doing the stewardship thing that we have to do. We've got to control our emotions. And I understand that's not always easy. When you're under the gun, when you're under stress, when you're under a lot of stuff, it's hard to keep your emotions in check and keep them in order. But that doesn't, re that doesn't remove the fact that's what we need to do. But it does bring us to the fact to understand that if we don't do it, we still have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All we got to do is repent of what we didn't do, ask him to forgive us of what we did do and, and what we didn't do. And he's just and faithful to forgive us of all our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness in essence he's going to restore our thought processes he's going to get our head back where it needs to be get our emotions back where they need to be and going to help us get our intellect where it needs to be because we're in a world where intellect has been thrown out the door if you think there's 82 genders you fell off a turnip truck running at full speed and hit your head on the biggest boulder that ever was. Your intellect has gone crazy out of whack. And that's just one of the things. Because if you think we evolved from a monkey or two lovesick amoeba in a mud hole and suddenly here we are, your intellect is challenged as being ridiculous. But you would be surprised how many who claim to be in the church today have mindsets that think along some of these lines, well, you know, there's a little bit to this uh, evolution thing. No, there's not. There's not one aspect of chromosome in your body that relates to or resembles that of an animal. You are a human you are not of the animal kingdom. You are of the human kingdom. And now being born again, you're of the holy kingdom. Even with our father's blood and a new DNA in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So in keeping this temple as a steward over it, we're, we're, we're required to do so. And then we go into the holiest now we can enter in by the blood of the lamb. There's no more veil separating us. We are reunited with the father. He's living in us. We're living in him. And so in going in there, our spirit man should be living in great ecstasy. I'm telling you, you can have a ball in this life. I mean, absolute fun in this life. If you'll understand the, the relationship that you have to the holy of holies on a daily basis. You know, there are some that think, well, if, if I'm talking about the holy of holies, you know, I've got, I've got to just, ooh, oh. And you think you've got to walk around like the, the old English movie versions of Jesus. And there are people who think that way. They have piety without sense. They have religion without relationship. They've established an order that's out of order. 
Because they're not thinking how God thinks. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, who understood that God is in him, therefore he's guiding him as his son. You in the Holy of Holies constantly, not once a year. Well, unless twice a year if you're a CNE Christian. Anybody know CNE Christian? That's Christmas and Easter. But you are in Christ and he is in you. So the holiest of holy is a welcoming place for you and I, not a place we have to dread coming into because if we don't do it just right, we're going to get killed. That was the old temple. This is the new temple where we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find a ever-present help in time of need. We can keep our mind in the right place based on what God has said and operate in him. So the first order of, of our stewardship is in keeping the temple. Starting off giving honor to God. And if we give honor to God properly, we will honor one another properly. If we give honor to God, we'll give honor to parents, even the unsaved parents. We'll still bring honor to their name. We'll give honor to God and we'll honor one another. And we'll honor each other on a regular basis. And so when, in doing so, that brings us to the next level of stewardship. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And that brings us to the place, oh my, Stewarding our communal relationships as well as our community relationships. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. In essence, the church is not laying out a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules, tying you up, trying to put you on a constant guilt trip, bringing you before the, the, the church all the time, preaching stuff that'll beat you in the shins and knock you in the head and knock you all about. And there are people who actually think that's a good service. We've not, got, we've not had a good church unless you've made us feel bad. Well, that's ridiculous. Aren't you glad we don't do that around here? At least not intentionally. Right? I'm glad you said right. <clears throat> For those watching online, I'm talking to Pastor Zach over there. But you are not restricted by us. You're restricted by your own affections. The only restrictions you and I fall under are those in our own will and emotions that I just talked about. So we have to understand where the restrictions lie and why they lie there. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is not just talking about in marriage or in, in physical relationships, man and woman or whatever. This is talking about everything in life. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or, the, or, or uh, Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, this is a command. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I'll receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Spirit being small s, meaning our human spirit. In essence, he's saying, let us cleanse the temple, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. <clears throat> so he's not making it hard. He's making it clear to understand we, have, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So when he says about fellowship, he's talking about more than just sitting down and having a biscuit and a cup of coffee. He's talking about making contracts together. Locking yourself in under an unrighteous individual to where they have control. Putting yourselves in a bondage situation with what could turn out to be a sinful situation. And he's telling us, guard how we do this. Keep yourself righteous. Remember, righteousness, peace, and joy are the attributes of the kingdom. Keep yourself that way. Guard your heart. Sharon and I came back from Wyoming and we, had, uh, we were reestablishing ourselves back over in Illinois, <coughs> which in and of itself is quite a feat, but we were doing that. And so I, I, was, I was operating my own business and I had a guy approach me if I wanted to go in partnership with him and, and we were going to build some uh, prefab houses because I knew how to build them and he knew how to sell them. So I went to the pastor that I was working with at the time and I, I talked to him about it because he knew them. He said, well, they're, you know, they're, they're part of the denomination. That really wasn't an answer. Because the problem was, is that when I prayed about it, God had already showed me a scripture in the Bible where it says, make no league with, us, with the kings of this earth. So when they threw out this deal about, well, they're really, they're Christians. I didn't know any different. Because I didn't know them. They painted a real pretty picture. I bought into it. Cost us everything. Took us for a ride, stole everything we had. And put us in a problem. Why? But they're Christians. So I was called to come and meet with the general board of the Pentecostal church in Illinois with the main guy that's the head superintendent over everybody. And they're all sitting there. And they're all talking, and, and, and they're making a joke about these guys robbing the organization in their church camp of thousands of dollars and laughing about it. So I laughed at them. If you're that stupid that you're going to sit here and laugh because it's not your money that they took, it's, it's the organization, it's the people, then you have no business looking at me and, and, and saying, i got to forgive them which I had to. I mean, that's just the way the Bible says. It wasn't about them. But a dogmatic religious order 
was laughing about it at the whole time because I had disobeyed God and made a league. And if that wasn't enough, <clears throat> a few days later, we were at my, my dad and mom's house. And a fellow that was another one of their ministers, he had been friends a long time, he was in that meeting. He never opened his mouth in the meeting, but he and I are walking out across the driveway going over to another area of the, of the farm. And he says, you know, you really need to watch who you call brother. And I said, well, now you tell me. So he's saying, guard your relationships and what you do. Follow God's guidance so you don't get stuck. Watch how you do things. So our stewardship. So see, I failed in stewardship to obey what God said because we were prosperous. Really, we were prosperous. I could go to Lowe's at the time is when Lowe's first opened and order a whole house package and have it delivered and, and just sign on the dotted line. God has a way of bringing us out of these things, but we can get ourselves into them far too fast. So he's telling us, steward our relationships in this life. In every area. Steward your relationships with, with other, uh, like with men and, and women. Watch what you're doing. Steward yourself. <clears throat> you don't have to have pastor's permission. But if he has a, a, a let's call it a check in his in his hard about something and he's going to tell you about it, you ought to listen. The same thing's true about others. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. If you've got some people who are really living a life and they have something to say to you, you ought to listen. You don't have to do it because we're not your boss. But you might consider it because we are coverings. We do care about you in the spirit. We're better together if we listen together in what we're talking about. You know, we're, we're, we're stupid if we think we're going to live this life on our own. The, the, years ago, they came up with a, one of the dumbest songs, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. And it turned out we didn't have anything worked out. Because Jesus wasn't buying in to our stupidity. So he says, steward your relationships. Watch what you're doing. Don't get yourselves yoked in un unrighteous affections, unnatural relationships. Don't get yourself yoked into anything that will bring you away from the cleansing of the temple, to walk in the temple. Know where you are why you're there, and what's going on in the process because you are responsible to steward your relationships. And that's as much nowadays online as it is face-to-face because -face. there are people who are saying things online they'd never say face-to-face. And just because it's online, God didn't miss it. Because guess whose eyes he's looking out of when you're reading these things? God. He's looking out of your eyeballs. He sees. In fact, I've had the Holy Spirit say, don't send that. 
And I had to go back, delete it all. You ever do that? You're probably holier than I am. I'll have some of them just get under my skin so bad. I'm just, I got to answer this one and hit delete and just let it, and it's gone. Because I've got to steward my relationships. Well, it doesn't really, it does matter. Because if somebody knows I'm up here ministering and they see it online and then they can go back to my page or their page or somebody else's page or three pages, it really doesn't matter what they see does not edify and magnify God, then I've got a problem. They don't have a problem. I do. You understand? Because I failed to steward my relationship properly as I manifest the Lord in the life around me. So I got to steward my relationships. I'm moving along pretty quick. So we have stewardship over our body, which is the temple of God. We have stewardship over our communal relations, our community relations. That means church. Our relationships at church are vital. That's why in Hebrews, is it 10? Forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is. Even the more when you see the day approaching. Why? Because you're important. You're part of the body. If you're not here, we miss you. There are people that actually missed me and Sherry Sunday, but we were out down in Tennessee with family doing some things, so it's, it's, that's not it. But we still want to know what's going on. <clears throat> and it isn't because we're nosy, but we never know what's happened. We don't. My friend Jim, when he misses, I miss him. Because he rarely misses, so if I miss him, I'm concerned. Because he's not one to travel a lot, so I don't know where he is, and I get concerned about him. You know? And if I don't have his phone number, now I'm even more concerned. I don't know how to get a hold of him to see, so i got to call pastor. And there's times he'd just soon I didn't call him to ask about Jim. Because he might have been in something really important. You understand? So it's, it's important that we commune, that we know one another. That's what the whole issue is building the relationships within the local house so that we are established and strengthened together. We ask you, if you haven't built a relationship in this church yet, we ask you to do so. Make your intentions known. Let not just Pastor Zach know, but let others know, hey, I like this place. I'm here. I'm enjoying this place. Now, I've had people come and tell me, I like this place. I'm here, and I'll tell them bye. Because the Holy Spirit told me they're lying. You may not believe that, but that happens. It didn't make them feel good when I said, no, I won't get to see you again. <clears throat> but it was the truth. But if we'll link our hearts in, if we'll steward our relationships within the body of Christ, and that's here as well as out in the public. 
We've got friends from other denominational churches in the city, and we're, we're friends with them, and we have a good relationship with them. In fact, Sherry and I run into one of the preachers today at breakfast. I couldn't remember his name. I had to embarrass myself, said, look, you're going to have to tell me your name. I got enough white hair, I forgot it, so help me out. And he did, because I see him all the time, but I just never talk about his name, so I didn't remember it, and I was going to introduce Sherry. But we have a relationship. We have, well, you didn't remember his name. Look, I don't worry about that. I've got a pastor who can sit right here and look at his daughter and not remember her name. <laughs> Isn't that right, Steve? See? But it's life. But in this life, we're stewarding it because we're not happy about that. We have to ask God, what's going on? And that's true about me. I'm the same way. I can look at you and say, uh, then I'll go over here with somebody I know. I can call your name. Why? Because we're trying to build relationships. We're trying to steward this house properly so that it grows and grows and grows with the glory of God in the friendship of one another and in fellowship with one another. And I especially like the part going from house to house breaking bread because I like fresh baked bread. So if you don't know my number, it's 731-345-1755. So you can call me next time you got a fresh loaf and we'll be there with butter. To build the relationships. You understand? And we're to steward these relationships. That's God's heart for our lives. That's God's heart for this church. That's God's heart for this community we live in. That's God's heart for this entire region. And then beyond that, we have our custodial responsibilities. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse <clears throat> well, it, it, I'm not going to read it for time's sake. But in chapter 8, he's talking about the church in Macedonia, how they've been willing to give, how they have given them themselves freely, how that in their own struggles and in their own lack, they took out of what they had in order to send offerings to Jerusalem because the people in Jerusalem at the time were suffering more than the rest of the world. And the people in Macedonia had a heart of love knowing that, listen, this is where this all started. These are the people who pioneered the path. We love them and we've got to help them. Did anybody catch what I just said? That's like our heritage. Pastor and I have similar heritages and some of you as well. But some of you had different types of heritage. Some of you, your heritage had nothing about church in it. But our heritage is where we met Jesus. Our heritage is where we got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Our heritage is where we baptized in water. Our heritage is where we grew up being taught. It's a wonderful heritage. It had some problems. Who doesn't? but it's our heritage and we're not going to abuse our heritage. We're going to love where God brought us from and move on. But we still have to know 
this is where it all began. We need to be honorable to that and be just stewards over our custodial responsibilities to one another. Paul relates it all the way down. He talks about how widows, you need to take care of widows, how those who aren't widows, how they need to be taken care of by the family. Those, those others who are the least need to be cared for. And, and he goes on and he lists a whole myriad of things too much for us to teach. But he sets it up to understand <clears throat> that if we're going to be just stewards, we have to have a just attitude of custodial responsibility in chapter 8 and 9. List how that works. And in fact, in nine, he brings it all the way around to our personal giving, our personal custodial care of the house of God that we attend, where we come, which is why we receive offerings, which is why we look at this thing properly. And this is the storehouse God's talking about in Malachi, where you bring all your tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, that there's sufficient in this house. Now, to be honest with you, I'd like to have some meat. It'd be best if it was taco meat. But if we had meat in this house of that type and we could come in all the time and eat, that'd be all right too. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a supply of substance that can be beneficial to the overall body at any given time. So if anybody has lack, the body makes up for it by supplying that lack. In custodial stewardship, Watching after one another. That's our stewardship responsibility. It is our responsibility to see to it that the needs are met in the local church. It's our responsibility to watch out for one another if somebody's in trouble. It's our responsibility. It's not fun. In fact, I just had a conversation with a couple here just before we started church that ran into a real serious situation. They've been helping and helping and helping. And that person ended up, you know, just basically throwing it away. But our heart is to keep praying that they'll come back and that they'll stay alive to do so. Because we've all, the people I'm talking about in us, we've all poured into people who go out and end up, that's the last we see them because they get killed in the process. And our hearts break, seriously break inside of us. And it would say, why do it? I went down to the city jail one time in Jackson, Tennessee. I went there because I had a warrant for my arrest. Seriously. I came into the church one day and my secretary, <clears throat> she looked like a deer in the headlights. And our receptionist did as well. And he was, oh, pastor, please were here a while ago. They've got a warrant. You've got to go turn yourself in. Okay. Did they say white? No, they wouldn't tell us why. I said, all right. Well, what have you done? Well, now, why would they ask that? <laughs> We're custodial. We understand one another. Why would they ask that? But they asked. I have no idea. So our daughter Heather was there. She said, come on, Dad, I'll go with you. 
That way I can bring the car back home to mom if you have to stay. <laughs> you never know. Now, it's funny now, but we never know. Listen, I've had newspapers blast us. I've, I've, yeah, but never mind all that. So I get down there, and I go up to the desk, and I tell the desk sergeant that I know. Big guy, man, he's big. He's the guy that rides the motorcycle for being a cop. He's got the knee boots and all this stuff. He's mountain of a man. He said, preacher, what are you doing here? I said, they said, I got a warrant. You got a what? I said, they said, I have a warrant for my arrest. He said, just a minute. I'll take care of this. So he walks back there. and About five minutes later, he comes back. Do you own such and such a car? I said, we did. We gave it away to a family that needed a vehicle. He said, well, that's what it's about. They've had it parked on the street, and they never did get the tags changed, and they never did get the city sticker. In essence, they didn't collect the taxes from this person that we gave the car to. And that person had never got the title changed, never got the license plate changed, never got anything. A free car that my mother had given because she wanted somebody to have it. And it was a big, nice Oldsmobile. Nice car. And I'm, I've got, I don't remember how many citations in my name for failing to appear. Now, my daughter, who is a lot like me, was livid. But the, the cop said, the policeman, he said, ah, oh, don't worry about this. I'll take care of it. And Heather says, no, you won't. I will. We're going to take care of this as soon as we get out of here. And he said, well, you know, preacher, no good deed goes unpunished. Which I was really thrilled to hear him say. But I told him, I said, you know what? You know us. So you know what happened. He said, I do, yeah. And we'll keep going. And we'll keep giving. And we'll keep providing. And we'll keep loving. And we'll keep serving. I mean, I have beat that policeman to a house with a domestic call of violence. And I've gotten there before him. And by the time he got there, it's all settled. So we care. We steward. We govern ourselves properly within the house. And outside of the house to see the glory of God manifested and touch the hearts of people. I was really glad I didn't get arrested. I've never spent a night in jail. I wasn't looking forward to it. So I was really glad I met the right policeman because I could have met the wrong policeman that day. And I had to calm my daughter down so she didn't go skin the lady that did the deal. Instead, helped her. So she goes and gets her and puts her in her car, drives her to the courthouse with title, makes her get everything taken care of and done right, and makes her go down to the city and pay the fines. Albeit the church paid the fines for her because they didn't have any money. Church got the title changed, church bought the tags, church bought the sticker, church bought the, and church paid the fines. So it's, you know, but I didn't have to go to jail because we care for and reach out to steward, steward.
our custodial commitments to be light in darkness, salt in unsavory situations, to love the unlovely, to care for the fatherless, to help those who are homeless, to walk through with those that are in a struggle and in, in, in terrible situations, and to bring peace. That's our stewardship mandate. Keep the temple. Keep the body. And keep the community to the best of our ability. And watch God do great and wonderful things. That's our level of stewardship. This is all kingdom principles that will bring us to a great place in Christ Jesus.